Stay calm. Don't panic. You got this. Hey guys, welcome back to the podcast. This is Chris Roby. I'm here with Carly Duke. She's back this week. I'm back. Yeah, yeah. I told you she'd be back. Uh, this is a. Uh, uh, we're kind of nearing the end of our uh, season, and we got this interview with Robert Purby, who is a youth pastor in South East Dallas. No, nope, Southwest Dallas. West. Yeah, Southwest Dallas. Um, and uh, Carly, tell us how we got in contact with Robert. So I actually heard Robert at a youth retreat probably back earlier in the fall um, with the church that I go to and just thought he did a great job. Mm -hmm. As I sat there and listened, um, not only did the teenagers connect well with him, um, but he had great stuff to say as an adult. Like I was like, I need to take notes and Mm -hmm. I need to remember this stuff. Um, and so when this topic of racism came up of why don't we talk about this? I was like, he would be someone that would have great stuff to say and be really passionate about it too. Mm -hmm. And Robert, uh, he, she'll hear in the interview, um, you know, deals with uncomfortable things, but also um, seems to, des- I guess he has, he seems like he has a desire to have a very open dialogue with the white community um, and try to bring some of us along a little bit, which is really yeah. great. And uh, he was really gracious to spend a little time in his office over in Dallas and we, uh, we really enjoyed it. So this would be a great interview. Um, thanks again to Lubbock Christian university for helping us out with the podcast week after week. Uh, I don't think I mentioned them last week, so I want to make sure I do mention them this week and say thank you to them. Um, but check out the interview with Robert and Carly, and I'll be back at the end to do a little bit of wrap-up. So we'll see you then. So guys, welcome to the podcast. We're sitting in Robert Purvey's office at Antioch Fellowship Church. Antioch Fellowship Church. Beautiful church. And yeah, it is so pretty. Is this considered South Dallas? Yeah, Southwest. Southwest yeah, Dallas. Southwest, okay. uh-huh. All right. Yeah. As I was driving here, I was I've been out in this part of town, but uh-huh. just don't 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 know where what we call everything. Yeah, it's everything a so- Southwest Dallas. We're right on the cusp of the uh suburbs of Cedar Hill, DeSoto, Duncanville, like right there on the edge of uh, all okay. three of them. Gotcha. So. Okay. All right. Yeah. All right. So we are here today to talk with uh, Robert about uh, racism culture, and um, we were connected with Robert through a retreat that he spoke at where Carly was back in September, is that right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Okay. Earlier this yeah. fall. Uh-huh. And so she was really impressed with Robert, and uh, we got in touch with him, and he was happy to talk. And so uh, thanks for thanks for being with us, I'm man. good. Um, thank you guys for having me. Yeah. So uh, just to get started, uh, tell us a little bit about your experience uh with racism, how it's affected your worldview, um, why why would we even be talking to you about this right now, um, so to speak? I guess for me, I've had maybe one personal racist experience where I was affected directly. Uh-huh. Most of my experiences have been just due to my surroundings. People that I know and love have been involved in it. But for me personally, it's just been one incident when I was in high school and I was uh, pulled over by a cop. 
and just some things that he said. Uh, my mom had a 500 series BMW. I loved it. I like. Ooh. I probably went too fast in it several times. Uh, <laughs> but um, got pulled over, and the police officer basically said that you shouldn't have this type of car. And I said, "Sir, why not?" He said, "Because you're black. This is not your neighborhood. Uh, did you did you steal it? We're gonna run the place to see if you stole the car." Uh, and like pretty much flat out told me that. You know, like pretty much like it, it wasn't. This was like in 2001. So um, that was my first interaction just directly with racism a lot of it has just been kind of indirect um so i don't know if you've heard about it but like i've been in the store where i've been i've gone in with some friends who are different color than me or gone into a store where some people think that people of color shouldn't shop at what i mean by that is like stores that have expensive things and mm-hmm. nice things and you walk in and you're asked questions almost like um you do know um we only take credit or, you know, you do know that you know, th- this is this amount or that amount. Mm-hmm. Those type of questions kind of like, you know, you really do you really have this, that type thing. So, huh. um, I, and, and it's so it's, it's one of those things I'll talk about it. But for for me, uh, I think it's something that we need to just discuss amongst each other. Um, adults with teens that we work with, teens that we know, just to get the elephant out the room. Uh-huh. Like it, it exists. Yes, it does. We all come from different backgrounds. We're all raised differently. Uh-huh. Uh, I'm, I'm sure you've heard your parents, grandparents, cousins, uncles, somebody say something about other people that wasn't right, but that shouldn't form how we treat people. Uh-huh. We'll always have preconceived ideas and notions about people, but that's not how we treat people. I think, yes, some jokes can go too far. Some people can say things, but when it comes to how people are treated and how you perceive people that's something that's taught mm-hmm. something that's taught so i think that we can uh we need to break down a lot of bad teaching that's going on to to mm-hmm. our teens and so when i talk about racism i talk about from the standpoint of this is what it is and this is how we can change it because a lot of people i mean I don't mean any disrespect a lot of people are just ignorant they mm-hmm. don't they don't they just don't know so we're doing the podcast you know what i mean yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah they, 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 uh-huh. they, they just don't know that hey this could be racist and one thing I don't want people to think, okay, now just go out here and find some black person to be nice to. Mm-hmm. No, like just if you can posture your heart to just treat people right because they're people, mm-hmm. we can X out a lot of this stuff that we're dealing with. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. And going kind of to that discussion of not being ignorant and having this yeah. discussion in a positive way, when we're talking about racism and culture, can you talk a little bit about terms? Mm-hmm. Um, for instance, talking about people of color, what terms should we be using that aren't going to be offensive or ignorant or cause problems? Um, I, I'll tell you one, one thing that gets me. Um, I love just people, just be yourself. I've been in environments where people think because I'm black, they're like, what's up, bro? How you doing? <laughs> like, don't switch it up. Like, do not switch it up. Like, you look crazy. Uh-huh. Like, like, don't switch, just, just, just be you. Just uh-huh. be who you are. Uh, but of course, we, we all know the N word shouldn't be used by anybody. Right. Um, but, um, I've heard, you know, I mean, it's terms and this is just not with just black people, you know, um, I've heard teens, you know, wet back, you know, mm-hmm. coon. Um, you know, even redneck, white trash, any type of names just goes against anybody. Um, because at the end of the day, what I, what I don't want people to feel like it's not just white people understanding what's racist to black people. It's black people understanding that, hey, it's some things we shouldn't say about white people, too. Mm-hmm. It's, it's just, uh, you know, r- racism is when one group of people feel superior uh, to another because of how they look, what they have, or whatever. And that's what we deal with our society. But at the same instance, I know a lot of black people that don't like white people. Mm-hmm. And that's, that doesn't make it right. You know what I mean? So I think it just needs to be talked about on both ends. Because, because you're white, you don't have the right 
to look down on anybody else. And I guess we'll talk about it later. There's something called white privilege. I don't know if you guys like heard it, mm-hmm. um, but um, it's not a horribly bad term, but we'll break down what it is. But when it comes to just um, how people are treated, it's just got to... It's just like from the love of your heart for people being people, not really worried about color and racism and all that stuff. So, right. yeah. So what are you observing culturally right now? Because, I mean, we, we see what's going on in the news. Um, obviously, depending where you're coming from, you're going to view it in a certain lens. Right. Um, do you see that trickling into teen culture and, and how they interact with each other? A lot, a lot of teens are um, exercising how they feel based off what they see. Uh-huh. Um, I think the media does a great job at forming people's opinions, does a horrible job at putting out what's right and what should be put out there. Um, And so a lot of our teens list, they watch TV, they're on social media. So whatever is put out there for them to read or for them to see, it forms their opinion. So if all they're seeing is racial tension, that's what it's going to be in schools. Mm -hmm. So the conversation, the conversations you hear when you walk through the hallways of high schools and when teens have conversations with each other, is basically just repeated from what they hear on TV. It's no facts. It's it's really not even personal opinions. It's formed opinions based off what they've heard or what they've seen. And so it's very important that we have people and sit down our teens and have conversations about about facts or what's what's really going on. But better yet, this is how you can be a part of the change. Mm-hmm. Like we can't continue this type of stuff. Like I'm tired of it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, like there is no reason why 2016 should be looking just like, or worse than 1965. Mm-hmm. Like we should be way beyond where we were. Right. And it seems like we continue going backwards because when things happen, we always isolate things into color. Like I, I can't like if a, if a white police officer kills a black male, automatically people assume racism. Now, there have been several instances uh, where the officer was wrong, uh, but in the in the general sense, we we should not just yell out racism whenever something happens between a black and a white person or a black and brown person. Like you have to know know what what's going on. But we're in a culture where media just runs with a story and they paint a picture and our teens are now running with it. So there should be no reason um, this generation. You guys already uh, know this, that this generation just has. Uh, issue with authority anyway. Uh, this generation is not scared of anything. Right. <laughs> like, like, like they just book authority. And so when it comes to that, we're not teaching how to obey or respect authority. So when when culture is saying that police officers are wrong or this is wrong, we have teens out here that are going against the officers just because they're white or just because they're in a place of authority. And if the officer is black, they're supposed to treat me a certain way. If the officer is white, they're going to treat me a certain way. So we're just painting this picture that's completely wrong we, we got to teach our teens to love people, period, and, and, and really not worry about color. How we do that, it's, it's a long conversation. It's a long process, but we have to start it. So uh, as you talk to African-American students mm-hmm. about police brutality or mm-hmm. um, white privilege, is that, a, is that a hard conversation to have? It, 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 well, to answer your question, no, it's not. It's not uh-huh. a hard conversation to have. The reason why it's not hard is because – I try to teach teens from the angle of one, one respecting authority, uh-huh. like re- respecting authority, period. Mm-hmm. Um, if, if that police officer has anything against you, let him have it against you, but don't give him a reason to take the, the issue to another level. Mm-hmm. Um, 
But then, so then you'll, then teams will come back. Well, there's situations where, uh, somebody wasn't doing anything and the police just shot them or whatever like that. You cannot be accountable for how somebody treats you. Mm-hmm. It'll be accountable for how you treat them. Right. So it's, it's, it, it's, it's not giving the other person a pass. It's just making you accountable for yourself. Mm-hmm. Uh, because I think a lot of teens, uh, want to push it off. The reason why I can be angry, the reason why I can be mad, the reason why I can be upset, I can rebel, I can I, I, I can go against and buck authority because they're not treating me right. Mm-hmm. And when the reality is uh, there are plenty more white officers that are doing right than the one that are done wrong, but in these few isolated incidents, it's crazy how over the last five or six years, maybe eight national incidents have really just turned us against each other. Mm-hmm. But so, so I guarantee you, if you had um, at least eight national incidents where we were coming together and doing stuff together that had the same type of publicity as the negative incidents, we would be better together. Absolutely. So it's, it's what's put out. Mm-hmm. And it's crazy how this stuff is trickling into our schools, into our churches. It's forming the opinions of people who lead our teens. Mm-hmm. So we got to be very careful. Our youth pastors, our, our teachers, our principals, our counselors had to be very careful in how they voice their opinions about what happens in culture because you shape and mold the minds of the teens that you pour into every day. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. I think that's a great point. Kind of, you're starting to talk about this, but what are some of the major things that we can use to combat racism, especially with our teenagers? Conversation, healthy conversation in the sense of, um, let me understand you. Like, like one of the best things for me, um, when I first went into college, I went to Southwestern Assemblies of God University in Waxahachie, Texas, a little small suburban town right outside of Dallas here. And um, I came, I was born and raised in South Houston uh, in a predominantly African-American environment, um, a deep, rich African-American environment. And I moved from there uh, to a predominantly Caucasian environment. Um, and so when I got to college, I was very militant, very militant, had the, the mindset that you see a lot of teens have today, um, that white people against black people. And I, and I got something to prove. And I, I was real weird and stupid. Uh, freshman <laughs> year, I was, man. So I finally, finally... Um, came into a real relationship with Jesus Christ and understood how he loves all, like no matter, like he died for all, he loves all. And that really changed my worldview on just, there's no way that I can say I love God, uh, preach the word of God and not love people. Mm-hmm. And so there had to be a conversation had with people on my college campus. I began to understand people, where they come from, how they were raised and really uh, love their culture, love things about them. And what you'll find out is people come from different backgrounds, uh, mom and dad, sisters and brothers, different cultures, environments, different foods they like, different things, places they like to go. Just learning stuff about people. And the more I build a relationship with you, then we can have that hard conversation. Because if I build a relationship with you and we have that hard conversation, you know my heart. You know where it's coming from. So I can then ask you, hey, um, did your was your grandfather a racist? Or what did your grandfather say about black people? You can ask me, hey, how did your grandparents feel about white people? You can have that conversation when you have a relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, conversations about tough topics that aren't rooted in relationship always become arguments. Mm-hmm. Always. Like, tough topics that, that aren't rooted in relationship uh, always become arguments because the people that are talking don't care about each other. So we have to start by just building relationships between our students of all colors, 
uh, just building authentic, putting things in place for them to organically like come together and do things together. Let's stop isolating so much. So when it comes to churches, let's do more multi-ethnic uh, activities together, more more events. Let's go to camp together. Let's have worship together. Let's let's go out for coffee together. Let's just intentionally hang out together um, and enjoy each other. Not just once a year, not just once a quarter, but have some things on a consistent basis where these teens are being a part of each other's life. Mm-hmm. Um, in schools, we have to have events where 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 we. We, we're intentional about making sure kids come together, especially if you're in a, a school where uh, it's a multi-ethnic school. Like a lot of schools just don't have the capability of doing it because a lot of schools you go to are either predominantly something or something mm-hmm. else. Um, but even then, the teachers and principal, it's, 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 it should be a, a, um, a must, a very imperative thing that they bridge that gap and do things where, where kids have to do engage in multi-ethnic activities and multi-ethnic things i think it's just it's just amazing um one of the things i always laugh about when i go to football games in the second half of the football games uh the cheerleaders take each other to each side and they do a cheer together yeah mm-hmm. uh, and i think that's just it, 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 it's, it, it may sound corny but it just really pricks my heart i think that's how we ought to be like no matter what side we're on no matter who we're cheering for that'll be a some some point in time where we bring and bridge people together and say, hey, look, we can we can do this together. We can cheer together. We can chant together. And everybody claps. Mm-hmm. And you look at those cheerleaders, different uniforms, different shades. But they've all done something together. They introduce each other by name and everybody's happy. If we can have that same mentality in life, like if I can come to your school, come to your neighborhood, come to your church, and we do something together because we're on the same, we do the same thing. All of them are cheerleaders. They cheerlead for different squads, mm-hmm. different colors, but they do the same thing. Right. So if I'm Church of God, if I'm Church of God in Christ, if I'm Baptist, if I'm Lutheran, if I'm Methodist, if I'm public school, private school, charter school, like we're if I'm a school, we're all being educated from a church. We're all trying to do ministry. We can come together and just show the world, hey, look, we all kind of do things a little differently, but we serve one God. We have one purpose. Look at us doing this together. Right. Yeah. And have you seen any negative things or people that are trying to help with racism and aren't nearly as effective oh or my aren't doing it the right way. No. So, so I'm tell you this. I cannot, I cannot stand like militant people because I used to be one of those people. And so to, like when you think that there's only one way, um, it only like, there's only one way to get your point across. Um, that really gets under my skin. And i I'll be real honest with you. Like, the Black Lives Matter movement can be so much positive, much more positive, if it wasn't ran by people who were so militant. Hmm. You see, what I'm, I mean, I mean, and I'm not, I'm not knocking it, but like the term Black Lives Matter does not mean that nobody else's life does. Right. Black Lives Matter simply says, hey, we're we're Americans and here in America, we feel like there's a group of people that are being systematically oppressed um, and, and done wrong. And we're just saying, hey, yes, all lives matter. But understand black lives matter because it seems like black lives are the lives being come against. We're not trying to exclude ourselves or say that we're better than anybody or we need special attention. We just want to raise awareness to say, hey, there there is an issue here. How can we fix it? Mm-hmm. But the people that are with Black Lives Matter aren't saying a message in that way. 
A lot of people, a lot of times it doesn't come across that way. So now media has run with it. People have run with it. And it's now become a slogan that when you say it, people are like, oh my gosh, like, can we just stop talking about it? Like, 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 like shut up already. No, like it needs to be a conversation that yes, like, yes, brown lives matter. Yes. Uh, blue lives matter. Uh, yes, all lives matter. But when it comes to America, it seems like black lives are the only ones being systematically oppressed and always in the topic of, uh, of social injustice and police brutality. And that's not saying we're going against anybody. It's just that we got to talk about that group. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So along those lines, you, you'd mentioned earlier about uh, white privilege. Yeah. Talk a little bit about that, especially as a. So, so I, th- I think what a lot of people don't realize is that um, here in America, if you're white, we say white privilege, like there are certain things you don't have to worry about. Mm-hmm. They're like you, like a a a white parent doesn't have to have the conversation with their teen about uh make I w- I'll make sure you get home safe, or, or if the police stop you, make sure you put your hands on on, on the wheel, be, or be be fear because you might be fearful of your life. Mm-hmm. It's a different conversation. The um the, the white family conversation is be respectful to law enforcement because that's, that's what you're supposed to do. Mm-hmm. The black conversation is be respectful to law enforcement because you you don't want to get killed. You see, it's a, it's a yeah. different conversation, uh, and, and just um, white privilege in America. If you're white, there's just certain things that you, there are certain things you can have um, without worrying about being oppressed in any way. Mm-hmm. And that really, it's, to generalize it, that's pretty much what it is. Mm-hmm. That you can move forward in life, have have a life the American way, if you will, without worrying about systematic oppression, without worrying about injustice. It, uh, on a major part, mm-hmm. there's just a different level of conversation that has to be uh, had in the white home than the black home, and it's just one of those things to where I think I think if if it was if it was acknowledged that hey, we understand there is a such thing as white privilege, but we're not using it to oppress anybody. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. I mean, um, I mean, because y'all, we're talking about hundreds of years, um, slavery. Was slavery in America lasted for over 400 years? Uh, after slavery was abolished, it was almost a hundred years after that that the Civil Rights Act was passed. Right. So you have almost 500 years of oppression. Slavery in America, or slavery, black slavery, is actually older than the established America that we know. Right. So we're going to have to have at least 400 years of peace and understanding to even begin to have a new world uh, where we would, where, that we would like. Mm-hmm. So how do we make it better? We acknowledge that, okay, this is, this is in our DNA. As, like, as Americans, this is who we are because this is how, how our country was founded. Slavery was a part of our country's foundation. It was who we are. Oppression was, was systematically in place. Like black people couldn't vote. Um, the, uh, the Jim Crow laws were in place. There was a, there were laws that said, Hey, you know, if there are more than two or three black people standing in the crowd, it was, it was against the law that black mm-hmm. people couldn't do that. There, there was stuff going on. It was systematically in place to where black people stayed on one part of the town and the other. Um, and we're old enough to remember or see, are things like whites only, blacks only. That um, my I remember hearing stories. My dad, if he wanted to get something to eat, um, they had to go around to the back to, back kitchen to get a burger. They couldn't go in the establishment. They had to get their food through the back door of the kitchen because they were black. And so I'm that that's that's stuff that's a part of our culture. Um, 
I, we've seen movies like Selma and we've seen movies like um, 12 Years a Slave that kind of like depict what happened in those times. So that, but we can't deny it. That's what happened in our country. Mm-hmm. So once the conversation is, okay, that's what happened. That's how we got to where we are because that horrible stuff happened. What is the narrative we're going to write for the next 400 years? Right. What, what, what are we going to do about that? Are we going to keep that going? Not, and, and a lot of black people get mad when I say this, and I have to really let them know I'm not coming from a place of just trying to neglect it. I'm not saying forget about slavery. I'm not saying that, forget about who we are, but stop using it as a crutch for us to not like other people, not love other people, or not even move forward. Mm-hmm. Like it happened. Yes, it did. And it shaped a lot of mindsets today, but we can't take that with us into the future. Mm-hmm. We have to learn from that stuff. And I have to be able to, to love you past that. At the end of the day, that wasn't you. you know, like the white people I know now didn't enslave black people. Right. And, and so I, I can't hold that against you. But what we can do is talk about our, how we were taught, our mindsets, and what, what did our parents teach us that maybe was wrong. Mm-hmm. I love my mom and dad. But, but what was some stuff they taught us about white people or what was some stuff they taught us about people in general that wasn't really right? Right. You see what I'm saying? And I think that conversation has to be had with everybody. So with the white privilege conversation, you know, when I see it brought up, especially like online, uh-huh. uh, a lot of the white people I know get really defensive. Yeah. <laughs> about yeah. just about the term. Right. Um, how, how do we get past that? Cause I, I agree with you. Like yeah. this is, this is an incredibly important conversation right. for white people to have. Cause right. I, I mean, Man, I, I'll admit the first time that I heard it, it was a little bit like, right, you know, right. because it because it you you pro, you associate with white supremacy, right? Which which is just a whole right. other right. Right. road there. How do you have that conversation, or or at least break down those barriers where those conversations can be had with white people? Um, in anybody becomes defensive about anything that puts them in a negative light, right? So no, no, no matter what it is, I think that conversation just has to be had that. When you say white privilege, you're not saying white people are bad. You're just saying the way our system is set up, it allows white people to be privileged in this system because it was it was made for it wasn't made for the society that we're trying to fix now. I, the America that we know was not founded when they said uh, all men or all of us are created equal. That it we weren't when I say we people of color weren't a part of that. Mm-hmm. You see what I'm saying? We, we we weren't a part of that statement. And so from that statement alone, they kind of like what, what white privilege is. And, and um, like this country was made for us. I mean, f- not for y'all. So, but then the, the people, voices begin to rise and people begin to talk, say, Hey, we don't want to be treated this way. If, if we're here and we're Americans by, by law, legally, this is stuff we ought to have. So that those conversations begin to happen. So when you have a conversation with a white person or anybody and you say white privilege, it's just a, it's a conversation. I'm not saying this to to demean you or to be wrong. Just look at the history of how our country was founded. Mm-hmm. Look at look at look at how we got to this point, mm-hmm. and then you'll be able to understand what is meant by white privilege. But it's not meant to make you feel sorry or even make you do anything for me. It's just to recognize. I think a lot of people don't want to recognize a lot of the blood that was shed at the hands of hate. Mm-hmm. that in our country like it, it just it just runs deep and i think when you have that conversation it puts people on edge for for white people it puts them on edge for black people it puts them on edge because both parties were treated differently or see see things differently right. um than that so um yeah that, that that's, that's probably why it, it would happen that way mm-hmm. 
kind of taking this conversation to schools, mm-hmm. what can schools be doing better to foster these relationships? I know around us, there's been some stuff in the news of coaches or teachers right. saying things and people get up in arms. And what can schools be doing and those helpers that are in schools well, do? Teachers have to be very mindful that you can't allow your personal opinion to become your student's opinion. What I mean by that is, as a teacher, you have to be grown. You have to be very grown and very adult. And there are some conversations that can only be had between you and another adult for you to get some clear understanding. I think what happens in a lot of schools is a lot of teachers really don't understand some things. And in teaching, they're not teaching the subject. They're teaching the opinion. And it's it's their opinion. So when you have this conversation, it needs to be had in a mature adult way first before you have it with teens. Right. So that conversation is helpful and healthy and not opinionated. Because then, then what happens is you have a school divided. You have teachers and students that feel a certain way, the teachers and students that feel another way, and then you have a school clashing together. And that, then you have white teachers against black teachers or uh, people who have one opinion and people who have another against each other. It has to be a healthy conversation had between administrators and teachers first. This is how we're going to combat this issue. This is how the conversation should be had. There should be something done behind closed doors to teachers that say, hey, when we go out here, we're presenting a united front for the health of our school and our students. Even if it's not how you personally feel, handle that away from the students. Mm-hmm. But in front of the students, what message do we want to send our students? Is it a healthy message? Is it, is it a message that, that unifies everybody? If the answer for that is yes, okay, well, this is how we have that conversation. And everybody has to be on the same page. What happens in our schools is that conversation is not being had as being left up to teachers and administrators administrators to voice their opinions to students and it comes out all wrong Mm. and 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 then so you either validate what a student is feeling or you give them ideas and then you just have clash Mm. especially a lot of our multi-ethnic schools you really don't see it a lot in schools who are predominantly white schools that are predominantly black or even schools that are predominantly brown most of the time speak the same language so it takes some mature people to change that tone but when you get in multi-ethnic schools, it gets real choppy in those waters because you have so many different opinions and somebody has to step up and say, hey, this is how we approach it. Right, right. So as we kind of wrap, wrap this up, what are, some, what are some small ways that white and black communities can come together? And and just small changes, small like adjustments, because I, you know, we're not going to change this by one big sweeping right. deal. Right. It's going to be small things that we can do that would that make a difference, that bring us together, move us forward. What are some of those things? The things that we do separately, or things that we do individually, have to become things we do collectively. So we go to church with our people. We uh, we serve communities with our people. We go grocery shopping with our people. Things that, so it, uh, it has to be to where we're very intentional about doing these things together. Uh, so, for instance, tonight, churches all over the country will have fall festivals, Oktoberfest. Wouldn't it be beautiful if, like, a white and black church intentionally got together and said, hey, we're going to do ours together? Mm-hmm. Like, bring our people together. Or Thanksgiving coming around. What about a Thanksgiving dinner or a Christmas party or just a community event? Just being very intentional about doing things together. And so if I was to uh, encourage any anybody in any role, a youth pastor, a teacher, a community leader, how do you bridge that gap? 
you be very intentional about what you do together. Mm-hmm. Um, be very intentional about putting different people that look differently in front of in front of people, and where it's not scary, it's not spooky. It's just people are being people. Mm-hmm. One of the best things that ever happened, man. Um, I did the camp for the Hills Church mm-hmm. um, a, a couple of months back, mm-hmm. and I think I made the statement there. But I've been in environments where I've been tolerated, but I've also been in environments where I've been accepted. And being in that environment, I think there are maybe maybe three or four people of color that I saw there, mm-hmm. but color was never an issue. Mm-hmm. The love there, the uh, the authenticity there, the genuineness there. If if our world could have felt that mm-hmm. in that moment, mm-hmm. we could be a lot better. Yeah. That's the first time I've ever been in a room of people that didn't look like me uh, on different occasions. I think I spoke three times, um, but there was never any tension. There was this level of we want Jesus, we want to grow, we want to know together, and it was just a beautiful feeling. And if our world can feel that, if our schools can feel that, like, hey, let's come in the room and let's just love each other for who we are, we'll get past all the other stuff. Mm -hmm. If I could just love you, if I love you, there's things about you I may not like, but it doesn't stop me from loving you. Mm-hmm. But if I hate you, I will never get to the point of liking you. Mm-hmm. Like is the prerequisite to love. Mm-hmm. I cannot love you unless I like you first. You see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. But I can't like you if I hate you. So I have to, I have to let the Lord change my heart so I can at least get to the point of liking you and accepting you. Then relationship can grow and build to the point of love. And then we can we can move further with that because... That, that, that's what's going to help us, man. Mm-hmm. Just lo- lo- true, genuine love and acceptance for people, um, just where they are, for who they are, is the beginning, is the start. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, let's stop being on our own islands. Stop trying to defend our points on why we're right, why we're wrong. <laughs> uh, let, let's forget about that, and let's just begin to love each other. Um, spare me from the person that says they love Jesus, they want to help, they want to see our world get better, uh, but they can't stand people. Mm-hmm. Nah, that doesn't that doesn't work right. <laughs> at all. All right. Well, uh, kind of to wrap up, we have two questions and that we want to ask you. And the first one is, what is one thing you'd like a teenager or a student to hear from what we talked about today um, about racism and about this conversation? Don't allow culture uh, to shape your worldview. Um, I guess if I could say it in a way, don't allow external circumstances, situations to change your internal conviction. I mean, don't let things that happen externally in culture change what you feel about Christ on the inside and, and the love you have in your heart. Let that drive you. Don't worry. People, culture will be culture. People will be people. But don't let that change how you love them. Hmm. It might be one of the hardest things you ever will have to do in life. But don't let the situations and circumstances of people change how you love people. Love unconditionally. Love with reckless abandon. And I promise you stuff will change. Right. So what would you say to uh, a helper, someone in a helping role for a teenager about this topic of racism and culture? One thing, take away today. Um, flush your heart out first. Any preconceived notions, any hatred, any things you've learned, flush that out first. Mm-hmm. And then refill it with the love of Christ, with the word of God and a passion for people. Then go. Mm-hmm. Do not go until you've completely flushed out everything that can hinder you from being positive to everybody mm-hmm. and once you've done that um really and authentically do that ask the lord to really flush out your heart mm-hmm. and refill you with his love then go mm-hmm. don't try to go on your own everything you've known before
This is the university for us, for the student scholars, for the tenacious ones who seek to discover new depths in their field, for the pioneers in math, theology, nursing, and education. This is the university for those seeking truth in every discipline. This is the university for you. Lubbock Christian University. Carly, um, I'll be honest with you as we as I was preparing for this interview and getting these questions together, I've not been as anxious or nervous about interview as I was since Sally Gary last (laughs) season. Um, And that says a lot about me, I guess, just um, I guess whenever you start to think about, you know, when you have a conversation uh, with people from the African-American community, um, you know, it tells me how little I really do know Mm. about the lives that they live and, you know, the difficulties they face and just very different worldview than, than maybe what I was uh, either brought up with or my experience. And so, you know, the reason that I compare it with Sally was really the whole just speaking respectfully and not saying something that might be hurtful or offensive just on something that I think is normal. Does that make sense? And so as I was putting this together, I was thinking, you know, this would be, you know, and, and Robert was just, awesome like he, yeah, he did a great job. like like i i might as well have not written questions because he just he's one of those guys who can just talk about this and it's compelling and um he talked about a lot of things i i i think it's valuable um especially um to our white listeners to spend time with this and thinking through this and keeping an open mind um but you know him just talking about his experience um with the with the white police officer and and how um, the police officer made the assumption that he shouldn't be driving that car because of the color of his right. skin. Um, and just, you know, his experience with his friends and some of the things that they dealt with, you know, those are just things I never, it's not in my memory bank. I never had to deal with that. And so um, I think listening to that and being in the presence of someone who has been through some of those things, um, but does not come across um, or is not bitter or jaded towards the world. Right. You know, I think is, really powerful. Yeah. I thought he did a great job and it's easy for us, um, being white and yes, privileged, mm-hmm. um, to think this isn't a problem. Why are they, mm-hmm. I don't understand why the African American community is making this such a big deal. And I think that's why this conversation is so important, mm-hmm. um, because it is a big deal and it is something that needs to be talked about from both sides and there needs to be understanding from both sides. And so I love that Robert Purvey was able to do that in a way, um, like you said that he's not coming from bitterness, but he's coming from a place of let's make this better. Mm-hmm. And what can we do to make teenagers lives um, better as well? Um, but one thing I thought was so interesting is talking about um, from the teenage perspective of kind of what are some differences or maybe how is worldview different of how they, um, how teenagers view authority, especially police officers. And he mm-hmm. was saying black students, um, of you have to talk to them about how to treat or how to talk to police officers. And mm-hmm. that's not necessarily a conversation that I'll probably have with my kids someday. Mm-hmm. It'll be different. It'll look different. Right. And, and it's not that uh, black students uh, don't know how to necessarily, but it's just they, they face very different dangers right. um, than a white student does. And that's that's a hard pill to swallow, Um uh, listening to that, knowing that that is an experience of a lot of black students, for sure. Um, 
And, you know, just related to that, Robert brings up, and I kind of wish he would have spent more time on this, just our time was limited, but on white privilege. Mm-hmm. And I, and, you know, he mentioned it kind of early and then I asked him to kind of, to speak about that. Um, and just that, you know, white people do just by nature of history and power and balance, those kinds of things have, um, a different view of how things work and how things should work. Um, and when you say white privilege and some would even go so far to say like white, white supremacy, you hear people throw that out a lot too, um, which is a really evocative term. (laughs) Um, and you know, it's easy when you hear that to say, not me, surely not I. Um, but you know, I think he really encourages us to think about in the places that you do have privilege to be very mindful of what that privilege is. doesn't mean that you're bad, or wrong that you have those areas of privilege in your life, but you can be really mindful. This is what you have and not everyone in the world has that. And you have an opportunity uh, to, you know, use that to benefit those who don't have that power or have been historically oppressed um, or pushed down. Right. Um, I also thought he did a great job of, um, and a time when this topic is really timely also with the election, but um, talking about just being intentional and being intentional with our students mm-hmm. um, that this isn't something that's just going to go away on its own. Um, I think he mentioned in this interview how long slavery is a part of our history yeah, yeah. and that this isn't going to be a conversation or a thing that just turns around. I mean, we have hundreds and hundreds of years and it's going to take time, um, but that doesn't mean that we can't do something about it right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and not talking about it is not an option, obviously. And right. so, you know, I think, uh, yeah, that that was that was a great example he used. And I think that you know, for for people in positions of power, it's easy to, you know, we've had the civil rights movement. You know, there's no slavery, um, do not have segregation anymore. What are we worried about? <laughs> you know, <laughs> and and so, but we don't. But it's because we it's easy to to turn a blind eye to those kind of things, and you know. If you're uh, an adult listening to this, you're like, what's this have to do with teenagers? Um, I think the biggest thing this has to do with teenagers is that you as the adult in a student's life will model Mm -hmm. these conversations and model attitudes and postures towards the African-American community Um, and really any any historically oppressed community. Um, You have an opportunity to affect change in the ways that you do things the ways that you talk about people, um, the people that you have in your home and the people that you associate with. Um, I think this podcast is, is less about, you know, specifically how you do things different with teenagers more. How do you model this stuff and right. show your kids this is important? Right. And as parents, as coaches, being intentional, um, thinking about the way that you treat people do you have biases um and maybe that means you have to have that inner conversation with yourself Mm -hmm. which is hard yeah um that's something that going through this interview i really had to think about okay at what point do i have biases at what point um do racist tendencies come up in my family or Mm -hmm. in my background in my history um because i have to address those before i'm able to talk to a teenager about it yeah but you're exactly right this is a chance for you to model this is a chance for you to be intentional about maybe who you invite for dinner, um, mm-hmm. who you sit with at church, um, at your student's football game. Mm-hmm. Where do you sit? Who do you talk to? Who do you interact with? Because they're watching you. 
Um, and if you're modeling that, that makes it so much easier for them to act that out at school and in their communities as well. And typically, you know, modeling and, and working through those things with Af- African-American communities or really any historically oppressed community um, will lead to loving better other communities. Right. And we've done podcasts on that this season and last season as well. Just how do we, how do we do those things better? So um, I think I said in the interview, I had a lot more to talk about with Robert than we actually did. He just, <laughs> he has so much wisdom and so many great things to say. So don't be, surpri- don't be surprised if you hear back from him at some point down the road. Um, guys, thanks again for being a part of this podcast, um, supporting us each week. Um, listen to this, share it with someone. Um, uh, give us feedback. Tell us what you think. How does this help you? Where do you disagree? Um, um, what would you like to see us talk about more in the future? So thanks again for listening to the podcast and we'll see you next week. The Don't Panic Podcast is produced by Teen Life and Ricky Lewis. Your hosts are Chris Roby and Carly Duke. The intro music you heard today comes from Under the Chandeliers. You can find them on SoundCloud or Spotify, so go take a listen. If you want to check out today's notes and resources, visit our website, don'tpanicpodcast.org. Or you can find us on Twitter or Instagram at Don't Panic Talk. Thanks for listening, and remember, don't panic. You've got this.